Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth, and you are here with Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is AJ Perro from Twisted Sister. Are you listening to John and Iron City Rocks? Hello and welcome to episode 393 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 393, we have two very special guests joining us. For the first time, we have Dee Snyder, frontman of the legendary Twisted Sister, also now one of the performers of Rocktopia. Uh, for those of you who don't recall Rocktopia, uh, we had Rob Evan on. Uh, early in 2017 to talk about this mashup of classical music and some of the greatest songs in classic hard rock. Uh, that show had a successful run uh, doing some touring. They were in Pittsburgh last year. Uh, went on to do Broadway, which is where Dee got involved with the show. And they're going to be coming back around again, doing another rounds of shows. They're going to be on uh, in Greensburg on October 24th. That's a Wednesday night, doing a show at the Palace Theater. On the 25th, they're in Akron, Ohio at the Akron Civic Center. 26th, they're in Youngstown, Ohio. And on the 27th, Cleveland, Ohio. So if you're in the center of a voice here in Pittsburgh, uh, you've got four shots, uh, really four nights in a row to check out the show. Dee Snyder is involved uh, with the show. Unfortunately, as he uh, brings up in the interview, uh, Rob Evan uh, had some health issues that precluded him from doing the tour. So they've got some folks uh, who are more than capable of filling his shoes going to be joining the show so we're going to talk to d all about rocktopia and also about his uh blistering solo album that came out in 2017 for the love of metal uh, and also we're joined in a little while by chris impelletary an amazing guitarist uh and, and the namesake of the band impelletary which has been making fantastic albums since the late 80s so we will talk to chris in just a little bit we're going to play you right now the title track of For the Love of Metal from D. Snyder, and then we're going to get into that interview. Change it, you can't 
thing. We had Rob on back uh, a little over a year and a half ago when the show was like in its infancy almost. And uh, so I just want to kind of get, you know, how you got involved in that kind of stuff. And I'd love to talk about the new album you have out as well, if that's cool. Happy to talk about it. Big surprises going on with um, um, uh, with uh, Rocktopia, though. Big surprise. Okay. Uh, to all of us, um, you're the first to hear it, and I may not—I don't even know if I'm supposed to say anything, but I don't think it can wait any longer. Quite honestly, um, Rob Evan took very ill okay. uh, this week, and he has pulled out of this first run of shows. Okay. And stepping in is Constantine Maroulis. Okay. Constantine Maroulis and an opera singer. They're, they're splitting. They're, they're splitting Rob's du- duties because Rob was a unique talent is that he sure. sang um, a lot of the rock stuff and opera stuff as well but um, so Constantine who I've known for years is a very talented powerful singer has done a lot of Broadway work theater work uh, I spoke to him yesterday and um, he's um, you know uh, getting up to speed quickly because our first show is Thursday in New Jersey mm-hmm. so um, between yesterday and Thursday he's you know, learning all the songs and um, that needs to learn, and uh, and also the opera singer. I wish I knew his name. Sure. Um, our opera female opera singer, Allison, uh, brought him in, and uh, so uh, the show is going on. But um, I can't talk about uh, Rob's. Uh, you know, other than say Rob sure. just took ill. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of crazy shit going on these days. So sure. uh, and he and um, and he figured it was rather than. You know, he, he wasn't sure how long it would take for him to to recuperate. Right. But rather than try and inst- stick somebody in for you know two or three shows, uh, he would just you know like set it up so we you know we whatever we set would be the run for this run. Okay. And I'm sure Rob will be returning because uh, because the long term plans on this thing are, are massive and uh, really modeled after the Trans Siberian Orchestra model. Right. Uh, which a lot of the people in the show have been in TSO. So they take a lot of inspiration from TSO. Not so much for the what we're doing on stage. Right. It's not imitative in any way, but just the business model of right. hey, we want to bring something like this to, you know, theaters and arenas around the world. Right. Yeah, it's such an approachable art form, you know, much like the TSO. Um, you know, I think you know, the TSO I think was was brilliant in the way they kind of worked in PBS. You know, people could see a little bit of what they're going to do, and and Rob, you know, and the and the folks with Rocktobia were wise enough to do that as well. So you could put it on the TV, get a taste of what it was, even when the show was almost unheard of. You know, there it was. You know, they were this beautiful. Yeah, very uh, much in its, in its infancy, and the show right. and the show has grown. Obviously, um, they made me, uh, you know, a part of the cast. Now I'm mm-hmm. I've been asked to join the cast as the resident rock star. Okay. So as this thing moves moves forward. You know, I will be um, continuing on with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, been, you know, when it was on Broadway, they had different rock singers in right. um, pretty much each week. And then uh, after, you know, I did a week there. And after the run, um, well, a few months later, I got a call from Rob saying, hey, man, we'd like you to join the cast. You know, and I said, mm-hmm. I won. <laughs> he said, what? I said, I won the contest. He goes, uh, well, there was no contest. I said, oh, yeah, there was a contest, and I was competing, and I won. Yay! So, Unfortunately, no, so one, I won. no one made a reality TV show out of that, though. That would have been a kind of a <laughs> cool thing. It was a contest except me. Yeah. <laughs> um, what When you 
started with the show had you seen it and got interested in it or is this something someone contacted your agent and you know we need a voice we need a you know somebody recognizable what was your introduction to rocktopia i had no awareness of it at all um and i got a call and um i wasn't sure what i was getting involved in um it's a and it's a it's a little it's a media assumption um and, and that's one of the things i try to dispel uh, when I do these interviews, is it's not symphonic rock. Mm-hmm. It's not symphonic rock's been being done for years. It started, I think, Deep Purple with the first, sure. with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Metallica right. did it in San Francisco Philharmonic. It's been going on for ages. Rock bands backed by a symphony orchestra to their music. It's not that. It is a true mashup right. of classical music and classic rock. And on that stage, besides the rock band and the orchestra and the choir you've got a rock singer Broadway singers opera singers right. you've got you know you've got a, a range of talent and and during the show you'll have opera singers singing rock and in the, now I even sing a little bit of opera hmm. at one point in the show so it's, it's a true mashup and um, I was taken by the, the fact that I was getting the chance to sing Zeppelin and Aerosmith right um stuff that I'm capable of doing but I'm not known to do right. so for me it was uh, a great opportunity to show my chops and 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 um, and challenge myself mm-hmm. you know I mean my opening song is Stairway to Heaven and I do something that I've never done in my career stand still and sing a ballad with sure. a nice voice yeah <laughs> I, 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 I was one of the few times in recent memory uh, I've been nervous walking out there and I said I, gotta, I can't jump around right. I can't tear it up I've got to sing nice and clean because I'm not going to sing stairway like, like we're not going to take it right. and um, and um, I've got to and it's a freaking ballad you can't jump around to a ballad so and I stand there I tell you there's an audible gasp from the audience cause, and you could practically hear him go I didn't know he could sing you know <laughs> it's like it's like well what do you think I've been doing but it's a different kind of singing sure now do you have you in kind of taken pointers from some of these singers um, you know you're working with not only you know incredible rock singers incredible opera singers uh, you know choirs and orchestras I mean do you kind of take some mental notes or, or any kind of pointers from them on no I think they're taking a lot of pointers from me mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's an energy that even standing there right you know that I exude um, and that you know and that I that, uh, that I bring and that you know there's and it's it's well it's it's the part of being a singer that involves being a front man or front right. woman, and a lot of singers don't even think about that. Right. They think, oh, it's just you know I'm, I'm a great singer and I stand here, but the greatest I think considered the greatest singer in the world, and certainly uh, Freddie Mercury was also one considered one of the greatest front men right. in, in in history as well. And and they're and they're very different talents. Can you you know hold connect perform entertain an audience but beyond your voice you know yeah, some right. people just stand there with their voice but Freddie knew hey I've got a great voice but I also I, you know I want to be able to engage the audience on another level and that's my thing you know so I'm not you know I'm known to have a, 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 a you know people you know I'm on the charts as a as a, as a low on the low on the charts as a great mm. metal singer or a great rock voice but you, you know, I have a lot more abilities. I also sang, I was a classically trained countertenor, 
okay. originally, and you know, I'm capable. Like I said, I'm capable of a lot more. One of my great frustrations with Twisted Sister was this perception that we were pedaling as fast as we could. Right. Like, oh, they do that because it's all they're capable of doing. They sure. Said, no. You know, JJ was an accomplished blues guitar player. Eddie, one of the great session guitar players. I mean, um, uh, um, you know, AJ Pirro was a child prodigy. Ten years old, he was touring the world with a swing band, uh, and he trained with Gene Krupa. So we played simple, straight-ahead, anthemic rock. You know, with costumes and makeup, it was out of choice. It was right. That's what, that's what our passion. But it wasn't because we couldn't do anything else. Yeah. So. You know, so with that, that's uh, there was a frustration there. So for me, it's a great opportunity for me to show, you know, to, to show my range. Yeah, and you you bring up a great point. I think you know, had Twisted Sister followed Stay Hungry with the Joshua Tree, for example, you know, or or something where you really went in a totally different art, artistic direction, it might have been kind of a disaster. But you're right; people get pigeonholed when they become famous for something. You know, you were a character makeup and you know this big larger than life personality and certain types of songs and, and it certainly yeah it's a blessing and a curse it's, exactly it, it's, you know you 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 know um you know you you were I was fortunate enough to uh, you know to hit a hit a you know hit a note or whatever you want to talk about with the people connect on some level establish myself and like oh yeah wow this is crazy this guy's cool whatever it's crazy whatever it was it's, I mean it's iconic at this point mm-hmm. that 80s but then again it's like how do you just break away from it yeah. and you know so part of you says well you know if you're blessed enough to make it through you should just enjoy the ride um, and I'm, so it's not so much that I'm trying to distance myself but at the same time I don't mind taking like going to Broadway or right. you know doing other things even if you're going to Washington back then not that yeah. I did it for that reason but it it was one of those things that showed people oh shit there's yeah. more to this guy yeah. you know there's more to this guy you're absolutely right yeah I mean because I remember you know the, those kind of infamous hearings and thinking okay you know you know you walked in big giant hair and then you speak and you know it's a totally different ball game you know you really I think kind of broke down a lot of walls and perceptions with that and that's that's a a fantastic thing, and for all of you know us kids in the '80s, God bless you for doing that. Um, oh well, thank you for appreciating. You know, it's, it sort of seemed to me uh, it was a it was cr- short term. It was a wrong decision for me, mm. um, putting myself out there mm-hmm. and in harm's way, so to speak. And when sure. when everybody else in the industry just kind of went quiet right. and waited for the dust to settle, which they really did for the most part. But um, it was the right thing. And ultimately, you know, you know, long term, it's been one of those things. I mean, not a day goes by that literally someone doesn't walk up to me and shake my hand. Still yeah. to this day, young and old, it's amazing because now it's taught in colleges and it's history now. Right. You know, so um, it's uh, so, and I was a part of it. So, uh, you know, th- that is what it is. But anyway, back to Octopia. Sure. No. Um. Now you were, were no stranger to Broadway. You had done Rock of Ages, and, and you know, you've done television work and stuff. Um. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, going through this, you know, the set on this? Is there particular parts you mentioned singing Stairway to Heaven? Are there other particular songs in there you enjoy working on or you find particularly challenging? Well, I mean, all of the stuff that I do in the show is not stuff that I normally do or am mm. credited for doing. So, you know, um, uh, 
you know, so I mean, I do, uh, you know, Stairway, I do Cashmere, which is mashed up with an opera song. And like I said, mm-hmm. I at one point I I joined the opera singers and in, 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 you know in the song, which is which is fun. Um, I do a, a duet on um, on Dream On with Way McDonald. You know, so I mean, and, and uh, I did it with the original on Broadway as a different singer. But Way is interesting because you've got, you know, you got I'm 63 and she's 19. Right. <laughs> you got two ends of the spectrum, uh, and and we uh, rock it. You know, I mean, so it's great to I I, I, I tell her I rehearse with her. I said, listen, I said I feel this as, as a, you know the gunfight at the OK Corral. You know, we're two gunslingers and we're t- and we're we're going for it. Right. We're here to blow each other away. I said, you know, uh, it's you know, outside of the ring, it's all hugs and kisses. But inside the ring, your job is to kick my ass. But right. I'll get ready, honey, because I'm going to kick yours. So I mean, to me, it's like it's, and I bring that uh, to right. the show that that you know, I taught everybody how to say fuck you as a compliment. Uh, that was one the first day they were shocked when I walked up to one of the Chloe after she came walk up the stage because I had to follow her. She sings alone. Yeah, she out sings. She outsings Nancy Wilson on that song, and that's like not Nancy Ann Wilson, and that's fucking right. impossible since Ann wrote it. And um, I, I, you know, I uh, walked up to her. She was coming up stage. I was waiting to go out to sing Stairway, and I had to follow her. I walked up and I said, "Hey, fuck you!" <laughs> and I walked out on stage, and Chloe was face dropped, and she came up to me. I said, "Dear, I'm sorry. What, what, what happened? Why?" I said, "Oh no, that was a compliment." It's a motivational said, speech. That was a compliment. I said. Yeah, I said you just blew the place up, and I had to follow that shit. Fuck you! But that, so by the end of my run, everybody, everybody in cast, opera singers, everybody's going, "Hey, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you!" But um, you know, but but that to me is the energy there. So right. you know, I mean, then there's you know, uh, so so every song I sing in there is not something I've ever sang before, and but I've always wanted to sing. You know, have the opportunity to sing, and um, and to me, it's a challenge. Yeah. Now, um, when this run of dates is over, I mean, you're committed to the show now indefinitely. Is that accurate? I've joined the cast. This okay. is, you know, one of the things I do. Many things, you know, I do radio, sure. I do movies, I do, and uh, one of the things that I, you know, I will continue to do as it um, as the project develops and moves on. Mm-hmm. This is considered just the very beginning um you know i um of the plans the big plans for octopia mm-hmm. uh but you know it's uh, the initial run is, is sort of testing the waters taking it out of off of the broadway stage and bringing it out on the road to see how it goes so um so you know i i hope to continue on with them because i really enjoy it but it does not preclude me you know now uh, suddenly i've got a hit metal record yeah, you know, went to number twenty on the Billboard charts. I haven't been on Billboard uh, on the charts in thirty years. Uh, it's been top ten metal record in the world since it came out. It was number one in America for six weeks, um, and it's and people are going, "Holy fuck, T. Snyder is back!" Yeah, so with the help of Jamie Josta from Hatebreed and his and a whole bunch of other contemporary metal artists, um, I found my place amongst the contemporary metal uh, bands and with the contemporary metal audience. My Spotify is like 18 to 58. So I not only brought my old fans with me, but young kids are getting turned on to Dee Snyder, 
which was Jamie said, I'm telling you, man, with the right record, there's a place for you. And he was right. So, um, you know, we're going back to the studio this winter, uh, working on the follow-up album. So, I, you know, I've, like I said, I, I've, you know, I've done different things. I've done a number of different uh, projects from, from Van Helsing's Curse to Desperado to Widowmaker, um, you know, then, you know, solo, odd solo records uh, like Dida's Broadway and I right. did um I did a, 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 a mainstream rock record last year, a uh, year ago, or whatever it was. And, uh, but, you know, with this record, with the love of metal, this is my place. I just didn't, my passion. I just didn't know how to make my mark in within the new, within the current community. And, um, Jamie helped me figure that out. So now that I figured it out, I ain't going nowhere. Do you, on, on that record, um, obviously you mentioned pulling in, a, you know, a younger demographic. Um, you're kind of known as, you know, the chief cook and bottle wash when it came to to songwriting with Twisted Sister. Were these songs all, you know, your songs, and Jamie helped you kind of produce them in this format, no, or did I you co-write? You know, no, I and I've been very public about this, and people are mm-hmm. a little shocked. They're like, "What?" Because I did. <laughs> You know, with Twisted, I wrote and created everything. Mm-hmm. I stopped writing in '95, okay. um, around the second Widowmaker record. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, I kind of just discovered that I was no longer leading; I was following. Okay. That I was no longer creating for the sake of creating and having my music be a part of the movement and the current sound and what became, you know, the hair metal, 80s metal, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but now I was studying contemporary metal bands and imitating them. And I got called on it. Right. In a, in a, in a, and I don't, I'm not a review guy, but when they strike a note that was something kind of bothering me, yeah. you know, like, okay, I, I mean, I am really kind of I'm analyzing. There's no heart in this. Right. This is pure analysis what I'm doing here. And, um, you know, and it wasn't bad. It was a second Widowmaker record to people who really like it. But that wasn't, that didn't feel right to me. And that's when I stopped mm-hmm. writing and stopped creating. So when Jamie challenged me, I said, dude, I go to metal shows. I love contemporary metal. My, my kids are all metal heads. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I love the community, but I just don't know what to do without sounding like an old guy yeah, copying yeah. young guy trying to be try, trying to be hip you know right. and so I said, I said who's going to write the songs he said D everybody's going to want to write for you and so people from Disturb people from Lamb of God Killswitch Engage hmm. you know it just started people started uh, coming to the party and and Jamie to his credit really um, studied me and we talked extensively about because I, you know I said all right, I'm down, but I wasn't sure that I could, like, am I going to be able to do this? They're not my songs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then a realization happened. You know, well, first of all, when I started hearing this stuff, I go, shit, this works. And I was thinking about it. I said, well, you know, Sinatra didn't write my way. Right. And Elvis didn't write Hound Dog. And Aretha didn't write Respect. Yet, the lyrics spoke to them, and they were right. able to present them. To the audience, and, and and the word "sell" is a horrible word. It's not. It's a, because it's not. You don't sell art, but at the same time, you're you are the message. You got to be the messenger, right? You know what I mean. And if you know, so you got to believe it. And Jamie, after you know talking to me and spending time, um, was bringing songs that were D. Snyder inspired. They were D. Snyder. Right. They were things that I felt good about. 
and uh, if there was something, a line or a word or something, I would change it. You know, right. I didn't take credit for it because I didn't feel it's not, you know, it wasn't that huge a contribution. Sure. But so I said, I need to be in there and believe everything I'm saying, and I do. So um, it worked, and as we go into this next record, I told Jamie and his team, I said, I ain't, it ain't broke. I'm Don't not fix it. it. Yeah. I, I'm fixing it. I said, let's just do what we did again because it worked. And I wasn't sure when we first started that it would, but once we started the studio, I started singing the songs and feeling them, and, and, I, and it just came alive. And it was better than I ever thought it would be. And quite honestly, on the other side of the glass, Jamie and the Belmore brothers, Nikki and Charlie, they were looking at each other going, holy shit, we thought this would be great. It's even better than we thought. And that just sort of, it, it, was, it just worked. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does, and you bring up a, a, an amazing point about you know you don't look at you know the catalog from RCA and see Elvis Aaron Presley's name in the writing credits of really anything. So I mean that's a really really good point, you know. But oh, yeah. you know, he uh, owns respect, those songs. Respect you know. was written by Otis Redding, right. and it was about telling your bitch to, to you know to, to stay keep in line mm-hmm. and respect me, woman, when I come home. It was that song, right. and Letha took it and turned it into a song of empowerment. What a talk about flipping the script! Yeah. It's one of the most empowering women's songs because she said, "Oh no, it's oh no, it's not about that." And she put she sang that shit, and suddenly women all over were going, "Yes, sister, speak." You know, it's crazy. And Otis's accountant is going, "Yes, speak." Yeah, yeah but <laughs> Otis famously, yeah, of course, but Otis famously said, "I lost my song." Yeah, you know, I mean, he won, he got the money for it, but but he lost. It was a song he was writing, and all of a sudden, she turned his own words on him. Yeah, it's a beautiful, you know, so, uh, beautiful, it's a man's beautiful. world lyrics just just flipped them on him. He said, "Oh no, it's not. It's a woman's world." <laughs> you know, yeah. so crazy, crazy. Yeah. But that's but that's the reality, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people out there, there's people in in my world who were I can't say name names. Mm-hmm. But they're putting their name on the songs. They don't do anything. Yeah, they don't do anything. You know, they they just you know they they stick their name on there. So uh, you know, I, I'm just more. I respect the artist, mm-hmm. and I could have thrown that weight in there. Excuse me, I burped. I could have thrown that weight in there and and said, hey, you're gonna you know, D fucking Snyder, man. Yeah, you know, I want my name on here and blah blah blah. I said, I said no, that's not. I respect the writing process, having done it too much. Right. You know, and um, and you know, and I said, and you've got to respect the people, you know, yeah. who are who are creating these songs and bringing their art to you, you know, and and especially because they were, especially because they were fans and they were all like saying, you know, we think D is the greatest thing and we want to bring D. We think we agree with you, Jamie. D has a place here amongst us. He yeah. should be out here now. And so, because um, I was in like retirement mode. I you know, retired from Twisted. I was doing other things, but I was like, hey, you know what? Like I said, I hadn't written a song since 95. So, um, you know, I was just sort of beyond that. Sure. No, and that's, I can, I can just imagine, you know, the people bringing to, you know, to you would be quite an intimidating thing uh, for them as a songwriter, you know, to present, you know, as you're, you know, known for writing some of the most anthemic songs in, you know, modern metal, uh, to bring a song to you is quite intimidating, I imagine, but, uh, yeah, the results are fantastic. Oh, I give Jamie a lot. I got to give Jamie Johnson so much credit because he we're friends and we mm-hmm. were friends, but he didn't his 
he's first and foremost he's a passionate metal fan mm-hmm. and he's passionate about me but even like the, if, if there was times where I might go I don't know about that Jamie he would push through because mm-hmm. there are many people who would like okay okay we don't have to do that one we don't have to do that right. one that's a typical reaction when someone like me says eh you know is a, you, know, you second guess yourself right. but Jamie I remember for the love of metal, which is one of my favorite tracks now. And when he first like presented the idea and started, I'm going, I don't know, dude. Seems a little meh. He goes, No, no, no. Trust me, trust me. It's going to be great when it's done. It's like the most down- downloaded track of the album, and um, you know, it's like uh, it's people one of people's favorite songs on the record, and it's one of mine. But you know, but he didn't he didn't allow himself to be intimidated by me, and uh, just you know was a true producer and just said. You got us a face of me here. I, I, I got a vision. Yeah, yeah, and that, that that's a, a great when you can find that kind of working relationship because it would be very easy, you know, for someone to just okay, you're, you know, you're right, D. You know, you obviously know more about writing metal hit songs than I do, so okay, we'll do it your way. But you know, he's no slouch. You know, he's got a very successful career. You know, so you guys have a nice give and take in that regard. That's, that's yeah, it's great, and uh, and for him, this has been. Um, uh, career changing for him because mm. he's very talented like myself he, he's, he's pigeonholed as one thing hate yeah. breed screaming vocals you know mm-hmm. and, uh, and he, you know he was a host of, of a headbangers ball for a while he's got a, a very successful podcast he's a very smart guy but um here this people were stunned like because when they see that his his name's on the writing credits and going right, these songs are melody driven yeah, it's like oh, I didn't think you could do melody. You're like, well, yeah, you just I can't do it in Hatebreed because yep. Hatebreed's defined by a certain sound. So for him, this has opened all kinds of doors. I know they're they've just been signed to do um, the new Elisa Glues White record, singer of Arch Enemy. So mm-hmm. they're currently in the studio with her producing her new album as a result of my her solo album as mm-hmm. a result of doing my my album. She sang with me on one of the tracks. Right. So it's a win-win for everybody. That's fantastic. Yeah. D, I, I don't want to keep any longer. Um, you're going to be in uh, Greensburg to do Rocktopia, hopefully for the first of many runs, uh, in, in, you know, coming back year after year, and we'll hopefully make this the TSO-type tradition that uh, that turned out to be. For the love of metals available now, um, obviously go buy the physical product, buy the vinyl, uh, then download it so you can get some more royalties. But, uh, and we I just want to fa- just reinforce one thing. Sure. You know, uh, this show the, the, the is a phenomenon, and um, the response from the audience is huge because you, know, you get people coming for the rock who are taken with the classical, mm-hmm. and and then you get people coming for the classical who are like, wow, I didn't never heard rock in like in in that same sort in that same place. But right. one of the opening statements Rob Evans always says on Evan always says on Rob Evan, always says on stage is like, if there was a gathering of the greats, the great music, musicians, the great of their times, mm-hmm. songwriters, musicians, it was a party. At that party would be Bach and Beethoven, but Zeppelin and Queen would be there mm-hmm. too. And they would be sharing together and talking together and, and respecting each other because they are you know, they are the the, the the best of their of their time. You know, right. they represent their time. It would be, you know, it's not like a separate world. They're very much 
belong in that same room. And I always say that, you know, if, uh, you know, the reason Bach and Beethoven didn't use electric guitars is because they weren't invented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they would have screaming electric guitars in the orchestra if they had the tech, if the technology was there. So, um, and that's, that's the, the Rob, uh, is his philosophy and his view of it as a passionate opera Broadway rocker. You know, he loves it all. He says, why can't, why don't, can't these things coexist? Right. And they can, and when you leave the show, you get it. I got yeah. it. You know, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I got it. And I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid, dude, and, and now here I am. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, D, I want to thank you so much, and we will see you when you get into Greensburg, man. Great, man. All right, take care. All right, a giant thank you to D. Snyder again for The Love of Metal is out now. And then on the 24th, he will be in Greensburg to do Rocktopia. Uh, and then, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, for the next several nights he'll be in Ohio. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area, Youngstown, Akron, Cleveland, all very drivable shows. Uh, Rocktopia, a, a blend of classical music and, and just amazing singing uh, and a hard rock classic. So D uh, will certainly fit in very well with the cast. If you had a chance to see it last time, we'll certainly add a certainly different dynamic to the show as, as he talks about. Uh, so it should be really cool to check out. And don't forget, for the love of metal, his new solo album, which is available now featuring uh, production work by Jamie Jast of Hatebreed, so you can get an idea that this isn't uh, just a throwaway uh, album from a washed-up 80s star. This is a full-on assault, uh, as you heard in the title track earlier in the show. We're going to turn our attention now to Chris Impelitari. Chris has been the guitarist and namesake of the band Impelitari for decades now a band that has featured uh, Rob Rock on vocals primarily through the years. They had a really strong album in 2015, if you recall, Venom. And they've got a new album out now called The Nature of the Beast. So we're going to play you a track from that album. This is called Run For Your Life. And let's get into that interview with Chris and Pelletary. <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure and honor to bring to the show we have joining us online, Chris Impelletary. How are you doing, Chris? Uh, I'm doing very well, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. I think uh, you guys have, have been around, uh, as you and I were discussing kind of off tape, uh, for a long time. It's been, you know, yeah, late 80s uh, when you guys put out your first album, Stand in Line. Uh, you're right on the eve of releasing uh, your latest album, Nature of the Beast. Um, one of the things I've noticed in, in just in the lead-off single, you haven't slowed down a bit as a player. Um, what is the secret to be able to continue to play at that speed over all these years? Well, you know, one I would say probably practice and discipline. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, I know I do tend to play fast often, mm-hmm. but I also know it's good fast and bad fast. Absolutely. <laughs> and I've done both, I promise you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having said that, I mean, you know, it really is, I think, for most musicians out there, if that's something that you really, you know, want to accomplish as far mm-hmm. as the speed and the accuracy and all that, it really is just, it's it's developing muscle memory, and that comes from repetition, right, which comes from practice, an insane amount of practice, yeah. at least for me. To this day, I still play, like, you know, six, seven hours a day. Oh, my. That would explain why well, you're still good and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure you're fine. And, and for me personally, you know, I do it because I love it. Yeah. So it's not an issue. It's not like, oh, i got to sit down and play. I just I play guitar all day yeah. long because I love playing. Yeah. Now, um, do you find, when, when people think of you as a shredder, if I remember correctly, many years ago in one of the guitar magazines, you were, you know, the all-time greatest shredder. Um, does that label kind of weigh heavy on you sometimes? Do you, do you want people to kind of say, hey, you know, he's a great guitar player, period not, you know, he's the man of a trillion notes. Does that bug you sometimes? Um, Yes and no. Really where it gets frustrating, and this is really important, Mm -hmm. Impelitary is a band. It always has been a band. It has never been a solo artist. It's never been just me. You know, I'm just the guitar player. The band technically could fire me. (laughs) You know, I I get it. It's my last name. But the reality is I'm just... 25% 25% of those mm-hmm. four guys. Rob Rock is equally as, as important as I am. Right. So I will say that the guitar playing thing has overshadowed. I mean, we, we do a lot of interviews around the world. Sure. And people always go, oh yeah, you know, you had this great solo career. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Solo right. career? I said, it's never been. So, right. you know, the, the guitar playing overshadows it. You know, I am, I'm flattered. The whole speed thing, I will tell you how it started. And I'm being very honest about mm-hmm. this. I think it was so. Our, the very first album we ever did, it was called the Impelitary Black EP. Okay. And by the way, we didn't call it the Black EP because Metallica. <laughs> we did it two years before Metallica, right. right? So it was called the Impelitary Black EP, and it had songs like "Lost in the Rain," "Burning." I mean, people can just go to YouTube, and I'm sure some kids would put it up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, the guitar playing obviously was very. There's a lot of shredding, but the music sounded like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest on steroids. Right. Right. So I, I know I got I got labeled as this really fast guitar player. And I remember at the time, I believe it was Krang Magazine in, in Europe out of England. They gave us like a five star out of five star review. And they called me the fastest guitar player in the world in some article they did. Right. And I knew at that point, I was like, oh, God, here we go. In L.A., it became a competition. And it was horrible. I mean, it was just like, okay, guys, it's not. it, it doesn't matter how fast we play. I was telling people that you shouldn't be concerned if you can play as fast as I can. That's not important. What's important is that you're able to express yourself. I mean, that's right. the whole idea of being an artist is expressing yourself. 
good or bad. So when it, all of a sudden you feel like you have to live up to something, I hated that. Right. No, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think some of it was probably steeped in jealousy because, you know, I mean, in the era, especially when, when your band, you know, kind of came on to the scene, everyone wanted to be able to play like that, but very few could. Um, you know, so some of it, I think, was, you know, jealousy and surely impressed. But, I, I, you know, I, you bring up a great point, though. When I think back to Stand in Line, which I listened to ad nauseum, I just love the death out of them. I don't walk around thinking about the guitar lines necessarily. I think about the song. You know, I remember, you know, the title track, Stand in Line, was a fantastic song. Tonight I Fly, a fantastic song that, that Graham hit notes I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that I think have followed your band, you know, is is the song, you know. To be able to add that fire of, of the guitar is just icing, you know. Well, I'm glad you hear that. i got to be honest, with Stand in Line is by no means one of my favorite records. Mm-hmm. I love the song Stand in Line, and I'm very proud to have been one of the guys that contributed to the creation of that song. Right. So that I'm really flattered by, but I listened to that record, and I think Graham did an amazing job. Sure. But in all sincerity, that really wasn't even a real impellitary record. I mean, if you listen to our first record, the Black EP, you can really tell what our real sound or our, our you know, our style of music is. Stand in Line was much more, I'll be honest, I mean, we started doing really well with that Black EP. I mean, right. everybody, all the media were talking about us, everybody wanted us, and our singer, Rob Rock, quit. And I was like, oh my God, I'm under contract to deliver another record. What do we do? What, yeah, and panic. that's how Graham ended up coming to the pit because Graham was this legendary singer in the band Rainbow and Michael Schenker group, and you know it, it was wasn't that many years before he had literally headlined what people now know as the Download Festival. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Castle Donington. He was yeah. he was a megastar, so we brought him into the band, and at that point we knew well we can't write speed metal for him. His voice wouldn't that wasn't right for him. So I had to really adjust everything mm-hmm. and kind of do more of a tribute to what he had done in the past. And that's really the frustrating part of the record for me, personally. Right. Because I felt like it was never a true impellitary. It just doesn't sound like any of our other records. But right. I, I still do appreciate it. I think he did an amazing job. Yeah, and it's it certainly... I think the one thing that helped was, you know, the cover of Since You've Been Gone. I think maybe... Because I think a lot of people knew that song, maybe couldn't necessarily think of who sang it. Um, you know, at least in my generation, you know, kind of the, the kids who grew up on the hair metal, it was a song that maybe we heard on classic rock radio, but never really put, you know, because it didn't sound like Dio singing it, so we didn't assume it was a rainbow song, you know, like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> and this is before, you know, video. So your version yeah. came along and we're like, damn, you know, this is, this is that song we heard on the old guy's radio station, but on steroids, you know, and it, so it, it made an impression, you know, I, I sort of certainly say oh, that. Well, well, I will say this. I mean, Stand in Line, and, and there's some songs on that record, it's become like, around the world, it's shocking. Not as much in the United States. And mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, so we, the last record we did is called Venom. And mm-hmm. I really love that record a lot. Sure. So we toured, and we were doing very big like festivals in Europe. We played with like Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. We were doing like you know, 30,000 people. And the last show we did, we actually headlined in South Korea. It was called the Busan Rock Festival. And you can YouTube it with Impelitary Busan. So my bass player, James Pulley, couldn't go with us. And so a friend of mine, Rudy Sarzo, bass player, yeah. Rudy spent a week learning the entire set, came in, rehearsed those for a week, and then came with us and played. We drew something like 90,000 people. And I will never forget, we played Stand in Line and Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which we haven't mm-hmm. done in years, Somewhere sure. Over the Rainbow. 
and you look at the audience, and there's like 90,000 kids crying, singing every, I mean, it's an instrumental for some of the rainbow, but they're singing every word of the original, sure. you know, musical. And it was incredible to watch that and realize, oh my God, that record did have an effect. But now having said that, if I listen to like, listen to our new record, mm -hmm. Nature of the Beast, listen to the first Impelitary Black EP, listen to our Answer to the Master record, Venom, mm -hmm. those records are in my heart. That's where I think I'm playing right. really good on guitar. Stand in line, I felt like, okay, I'm pushing the, the boundaries on speed too much. For right. one, and I also thought the way they mixed it, I hated it. They buried the guitar and reverb, so I really didn't like that part as a guitarist, right? Right. I mean, most of the people that know me now and they consider me this whatever this virtuoso, it's really about the Black EP and all the new records we've done around that record, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Oh, but, Chris. So, but, you know. sure. Um, you mentioned you know drawing large crowds outside of the U.S. Have you found frustration? In really inside the U.S. with with bands such as yours, and you're not alone in this, um, that have to you know continue to tour outside the U.S. You know you can't just do a show in Los Angeles and draw forty thousand people with this style of music anymore. Um, if, is that kind of frustrating, or you just kind of go where they want to hear you and, and you're happy about that? You know we'll go anywhere where they want to hear us. Mm -hmm. I mean it's such it's such a rewarding experience to play for people. Period. Right. right, whether you're playing in front of a thousand people or a hundred thousand people, um, yeah, I would like to see the U.S. embrace mm -hmm. this kind of music again. I mean, I know we have a lot of fans in the U.S. I mean, we get constant emails and fan letters and all this stuff begging us to play here. Right, you know, and, and I feel for them. And, and to be honest, you know, it's difficult. And, and they always ask me, "Well, why don't you? If you can do all these big arenas and all that stuff overseas. Why can't mm -hmm. you at least come here and play like a theater?" And I'll be blatantly honest, the reason is very simple. Promoters, right? Sure. They basically have to invite us. Before they invite us, they're going to try to figure out, well, what can we do as far as venue size? Right. Can we fill it to capacity? What's the guarantee? What's the risk they're taking? And to be fair to the promoters, I'm sure they're scared because, look, we're not going to come here and play clubs. It's just, hmm. we're, the band, our production is just too big. Right. So if we can't play two or 3,000 seat venues, I don't really want to be pushed into something that I'm uncomfortable doing. Right. And if we go to the promoters and say, look, yeah, we'll do it, but it's got to be at least 2,000 seat or above, they're probably looking at us like, you're on crack. We don't yeah. even know if we can put three people in that venue. Yeah. And, and, I, and I understand that, so I have to be a realist and say, I get it, guys. So maybe there's a happy equal, equal, somewhere a common ground. I don't know what that is, but I want when our fans to see us, like they see us overseas, I want to make sure they get to see us. Right. Like the real band, not just you know, crunching into some three shoehorned into yeah into a bar. Yeah, and not and not to mention you you just getting rid of half. I mean, we have so many kids that come to our shows overseas. It's very common for us to look out and see you know fifteen year olds everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think sometimes the United States doesn't embrace embrace sort of the, the festival mentality. You know, the the festivals in the United States are extremely sterile. I think you know they're, they're Rock on the Range is, you know, genuinely bands of a similar mold. Um, you know, we agree. don't step out yeah. of that, you know. And I, I recall talking to a guitarist who, you know, when I think of, of you, I always think of Axel Rudi Pell, um, fantastic German guitar player. And uh, I think his albums are brilliant. But, you know, in asking him, you know, would you consider touring in the U.S.? He's like, it just doesn't make sense financially. You know, they'll fly their singer from the United States over there to tour. 
but it just doesn't make financial sense to come here and tour, and it's a shame. You know, but well, I certainly. Yeah, and, you know, all, well, I was going to say, you know, one thing that you just stated was is interesting, and you're cognizant of. I do see the festivals that they bring on mm-hmm. here, right? And they are very. It is very homogenized. Yeah. Very sterile. It's almost like it, there is, and, and this is a big problem with the metal community. And I'll be blatantly honest: they kind of slap themselves in the face or slap the hand that fed them. It's a good old boys network, meaning all right, you get a couple bands on a strong management roster, or label right. roster, and everybody else becomes outcasts. But they forget that there are millions of people that could be a viable audience that want to hear stuff, but not their artists. And yeah. so they fight. They fight to get their bands on the bill which means then you get pushed out. You know, I can't yeah. tell you, when we do Europe, it's shocking. I mean, we do, we play with, like, mega bands. And usually the way the European festivals work, when you're done, they always have you do signing sessions. Mm-hmm. The last tour we did, I remember, I think we were in Barcelona, Spain, and it was Maiden, Us, and a few other bands. And I'll never forget, you know, the bands will usually do, like, 40-minute signings, and then the lines dissipate, and they disappear. Right. We were there for an hour and a half, and the lines just kept going and going. The same thing in Germany. Hmm. You know, we did these festivals in Germany, and it was insane. And Rob and I are looking at each other going, so Slayer and those type bands, they can draw people for about 40 minutes, and it goes away, and we're here for an hour and a half, and it's still just, the line never ends. Right. Something's broken, right? And I truly live the same way in the U.S., but I think when you have the good old boy network controlling it, yeah. it's very difficult to penetrate that, so... I don't know what to say to that, you know. Do you think it has anything to do with, I mean, I know in the United States, let's face terrestrial radio is, you know, owned by, a very large chunk of it is owned by two companies. Um, do you do you think that plays into it? You know, maybe Europe's a little bit easier to get airplay, or does, or does airplay really not matter at this point? Well, I really don't know. I don't know if it matters, especially with the Internet. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's very easy, basically. Anybody can basically find you on the web, right, and listen yeah. to your music. So I don't know if it's critical. But, you know, remember, people, behavioral science 101, right? We all want to feel like we're part of the cool group. Yeah. So that's part of U.S. It always has been, right? Yeah. You know, you get whatever the, the, the whatever, the first early adopters, the 14-year-old kid that embraces an artist and that loves it, then his friends say, oh, well, that guy's really cool. i got to listen to it and really like it, too. So then they start listening, and all of a sudden you have this kind of like, I don't know, this frenzy where you turn you know these artists into Justin Bieber, right? Yeah. Uh, that's always been the way it's been in the U.S. Um, I do think it is problematic. There's no doubt when you have certain people. I'll give you an example. I mean, hmm. there are a lot of people that want to see us on tour. So we'll look at bands like, all right, who's going to come to the U.S. next year? Maybe Maiden, Can We Gone, or Metallica, or whatever. But what you'll find most of the time is those artist management companies already are guaranteeing their other artists that are on the same management roster right. a place on that bill. Or they you know, want you to, like or you to pay for the privilege of being on that bill. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. well, that's a joke, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I know that. There are a lot of artists that have to pay to play. So, uh, listen, we've never done that. And, you know, in some ways, I don't know, maybe it's a blessing. Hmm. I mean, it's not in an arrogant way. I don't want to be sound arrogant arrogant or egotistic or whatever, but you know, I did look at this. I mean, maybe because we've been forced to go over in Japan and places where we became huge, you know, we've we've sold millions of records. We've made a ton of money doing it, and maybe that was a blessing or a godsend. You know, we didn't ever have to pay to play. We get paid and we get paid very well to do what we love. You know, versus if we just tried to fight the U.S. market and we're forced to, you know, 
work day jobs and you know paid play and all of that stuff that would be a whole other outcome yeah you're right i mean you can't you can't i'm sure you probably can't imagine but the, just the sheer number of musicians who you know work a day job um, and then fly somewhere for a Friday night, Saturday night, uh, and, and are back, you know, laying carpet Monday to Friday to kind of, you know, pay for the privilege for them to be a rock star on the weekend. And, and that's a that's a tough life. I mean, it. I think uh, that was one of the things I think that made, uh, you know, the uh, Frankie Benali movie on Quiet Riot kind of interesting was you got to see kind of behind the curtains of, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, putting up wallpaper through the week uh, and then going and singing with Quiet Riot on the weekend, you know, as opposed to, you know, people think you're living in mansions and Rolls Royces and things like that. It's just uh, not reality. Uh, but maybe the no, fact and, that, you and, you know, you guys worked for it, um, you know, well, it yeah, wasn't because the, of a hit. Way, true, John, but, but by the way, there's nothing wrong with musicians working jobs. Believe me, I sure. own businesses, right? So I've invested my money pretty wisely, mm-hmm. which creates a, a revenue stream of sure. you know, allowing me to do what I want to do. But having said that, there's nothing wrong. I mean, look, everybody, when we were paying our dues in the early days, we all did it. I gave guitar lessons. and mm-hmm. You do whatever you have to do in the beginning to pay your bills, and that's what people should still be doing today. So they appreciate if they get that, that element of success. I don't care what country. Yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to suck, but you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I say, for us, you know, I, I always try to look at at the the other side of the story, the equation. I can sit there and whine about, oh yeah, the market's controlled in the U.S. and blah blah blah. But on the other side, I look at it and go, yeah, but I have a lot of friends that have sold 10 million records, and these guys are they have no money anymore. The careers are over, and I look at me and Rob, and here we are, 30 years later, a couple million records sold, and we're gaining new fans every year. And to me, that is the other side of the coin, going. No, I'll take that. I'm happy yeah. with that. Yeah, it's a, you know the slow and steady. I mean, that's certainly a sustainable model. And then you know, going where you know the fans are, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, can you talk just a little bit about the new record? You know, we we've heard the leadoff single, but um, you know, what we can expect? Any surprises? Well, there are. Um, so the the first song, which is now a music video, which we I think released about two weeks ago. Is called Run For Your Life. Um, the record, to me personally, now Rob may have a different opinion, James, our bass player, but really what I was trying to do is I was trying to capture the energy and the spirit of what I grew up in. So I really loved early, like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So when I hear something like Run For Your Life, now I know it's very close. Even the record um, title, we almost didn't call The Nature of the Beast because Iron Maiden's the number right. of the beast, right? right. And all sincerity and being truthful, it had nothing to do with Maiden, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of celebrates that era. So when I hear songs like Run For Your Life, I feel like, except maybe our production's a little bigger than theirs, sure. but I listen to the song and I say, oh yeah, that could fit right in with the trooper of Maiden, right? Or classic right. priest or whatever. So there's a lot of elements and, and periods within our record that kind of bring you to that time but sound modern, maybe because of production, equipment, all of that stuff. Yeah. Just, we've evolved. Um, and then there are other surprises, too. The one thing most of the critics are freaking out over, and, and I'm going to say this, again, in a neutral position, because to be blatantly honest, again, I have lived with this record for two years. I have written the music, played with the band, recorded it, rehearsed it every single day, and at this point, I have no clarity. And it won't be until three years from now, maybe after we toured and we're on another record, 
where I'll be able to listen back to this record and go either, oh my God, that's great, or oh my God, it sucks, what were you thinking? <laughs> right? So that's yeah. where I'm at at the moment. So I have to kind of listen to the feedback of like, you know, the, the, the media people, because we've been doing a lot of interviews. Sure. What I'm hearing right now, people are really, really loving our version of Black Sabbath Symptom of the Universe. Right. Um, we've gotten a lot of interesting commentary on that. Um, so that is one of the songs that's unique because we rarely do covers and we took it to an, a new place whether it's good or bad only the people can decide that I can't tell mm -hmm. um, so that's one we also redid Phantom of the Opera which was a blast we almost didn't do it because there's another great band out there Nightwish that did it Yeah. Um, they just did it in a, and, and I love Tarja and, and the singer Marco I think they're awesome but it was very basic rock where we, we basically made it into like a speed metal song and just did just crazy stuff to it. So that's kind of unique. It's a little bit out of our normal, well, not the speed metal part, but, you know. Right. <laughs> doing like a Broadway musical and turning it into like a metal concept, you know, tune. That's a little bit out of the scope of what we normally do. But it um, works. So there's that. Well, I, I hope so. You know, I'll let you know in three years. Yeah. <laughs> I'll listen back and go, that was horrible. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, so. do you go back and listen to to your older albums? Like, as you're getting ready for a tour, maybe to remember how you played a certain song, or um, yeah, yeah, is that I, hard yeah, for you I, to do that? I, I would think sometimes that might be painful or, or quite a blast, yeah. depending on your perspective. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll listen back. Like, it's funny the the very first record we ever did, which is that Impelitary Black EP. Mm -hmm. I still listen to that. I, I'll occasionally someone will play it, or I'll see somebody say something on YouTube and for some reason I'll just click the link. Lost in the Rain, I still love that to this day. And mainly because I know when we first did that record, we were poor. We did it, it was almost like a live record. We, we just put a couple mics up in the room and we just went for it, right? There was no computer technology at that point, so you had to play as a band. And I listened to it, it's almost like a live recording. So it's not, not a big production, but it just there's something about the energy, so I love listening to that. Stand in line, I struggle with. Sure. I like the song Stand in Line very much so, but I don't like the way they mix the guitar. I hate mm -hmm. that the reverb is overkill for me. I think they buried the solo, so I really can't. It doesn't sound like me normally, right? right. Just in my ear. So that's it. And then there are other records like Answer to the Master, which is a huge one in Europe. They really love that record. When I put that on, I was always not certain if I liked it. As I listen now back, now I get why everybody loved that record. I mean, that was like, I think that record sold in Japan, 100,000 records in the first day wow. of release. It was insane. It was a big one for us. So, for the most part, I'm pretty happy with what we've done. But, you know, as an artist, we all are going to be extremely self-critical of ourselves. Right. Do you, um, do you think that, I mean, as you go forward, I mean, just, do you um, think you've captured the perfect album yet, or do you think you ever will? I really don't know. You know, um, I can tell you I'm pleased with the outcome, I think. Mm -hmm. I love playing this music, at least the arrangement. So I'm satisfied from that perspective. I've been listening to me, my guitar playing, right, as a guitar mm -hmm. player. I've been listening to the solos. I think I really like what I hear. You know, I'm very pleased with it. Sure. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's very subjective and it's so premature because... I need space. I need distance. Yeah, it's got to be. I can't imagine, you know, going back because I mean, I think of, you know, I have to imagine when you're listening to, you know, the EP, you know, the, the black EP, that it's got to take you back, kind of, 
almost nostalgia to the time you recorded what you're going through in life you know the same way your albums speak to the listener we remember where we were when we first heard it what you know you know i remember almost like it was yesterday the first time i listened to venom um you know it's so i imagine as an artist it's got to feel like that as well but you know it if, does you know, to, to, some things i mean sometimes you have good memories and, mm-hmm. and difficult memories, right stand in line was difficult sure um the black he was a blast i remember too because when we were doing it we were at a studio called baby o and mm-hmm. it was actually owned by a mexican president and i think it was almost like a place where they were laundering money or something oh. um and i'll never forget because we were in like the a room in the b room gene simmons was doing demos for kids so oh. i remember meeting him i think he came in a few times and you know, said, ah, great band, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know if you remember that. But right. I remember stuff like that, little memories, you sure. know, here and there. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, as far as the new record, though, you know, again, hearing it, it I mean, I don't know if you've heard it, if you've had a chance to listen to the mm-hmm. whole thing or whatever, but, yeah. you know, I always ask people, I mean, what's, what's your impression? And, and believe me, if you don't like it, it's okay. I you always try to get people, what's their consent? The thing I, I, I personally, I mean, I love the, the vocals, and really even the guitar tone have a great sense of you know what you expect from classic metal but it sounds like a new album and that's one thing that you know I see a lot of bands that will do an album that it'll sound like it's 1987 again um, and it sometimes I think dates and maybe lessens what I'm hearing you know I think the recording the engineering um, the songwriting are very fresh and it goes, but it still feels like a young man's music. It doesn't sound like you guys are, are trying to put on the legacy of what you were. You know, it still sounds very current to me, and that's one thing I love. And, and you know, and it's it still sounds like you. That's the one thing. You know, the playing is still, you know, the fire is there. The the fury in your guitar playing, I think, is is fantastic. Um, you know, and and Rock's voice. I mean how long he's been doing this you know it doesn't miss a beat you know you listen to a lot of of artists who were doing that that long ago you listen to it now it's kind of detuned a little bit to make it easier to sing i'm not hearing that you know so yeah, my yeah that's hats. great that you did that yeah and i'll tell you rob rock i think he is one of the most underrated singers in the world i mean i, yeah. look, I people don't know this. when i disbanded the, the band lineup after stand in line i actually for mm. about a half a year started a band with glenn hughes Right, mm-hmm. and Glenn Hughes, one of the greatest vocalists. So I've worked with him. Mm-hmm. I've worked with you know Graham Bonnet. There was a time where I almost worked with Ronnie Dio, or, or was trying to. Mm-hmm. And I've been around great singers my whole life. And I'll tell you, Rob Rock. What's really unique about him? Not only is he a humble human being, he's amazingly talented, has an incredible range, but he's consistent. Yeah, it's very rare that what he does on record, he doesn't do live which is incredible you could do like back to back five shows the fifth show he'll be a little tired like most human beings would be but he won't miss anything the notes are perfect it's incredible I mean there are very few singers I've ever worked with that have that kind of consistency yeah it's probably a genetic gift to be honest yeah it's something that that I sure didn't get it's kind of like um you know the you know the the, some of the great guitar players you know some people get those gifts um, and then work hard, and that's the key. I mean, there are probably a lot of people who are born with gifts who squander them by lack of work. Um, you know, well, but, or, yeah. or substance, right? I mean, that was kind yeah, of yeah. The there's things that I too. 
you know, that, yeah. that I mean, could... that was the problem with stand in line. That was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of that issue, the substance abuse and, mm-hmm. you know, um, you have to be very careful with that because if you do have a gift, you can, you know, I think that's one of the most valuable lessons I learned out of that, that period of my life is one, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't make those mistakes again yeah. because, you know, abusing your talent or your gift, that can be catastrophic, especially to your dreams in life or whatever your goals are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You've got to kind of make that choice to, you know, it's it's important to enjoy the success that you have when you have it, but when you take it too far, you know, we've seen how many, just countless musicians who end up, you know, really derailing their career, um, you know, and unfortunately their life, you know, we see that, more, you know, way too much these days, um, you know, where that kind of stuff can ruin, you know, not just your musical career, but your family, your life. Oh, of course. Um, so. You know, and I think music, a lot of times, it happens to young people because, you know, people don't realize. I mean, I'll tell you, now remember, I didn't have the, I mean, we're still trying to get, our dream, obviously, is still to get bigger than Metallica or Guns N' Roses, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm a realist, I understand that. Um, having said that, even though we never have achieved that, even in the 80s, there's a period of time where we had a tremendous amount of popularity, even mm-hmm. in the U.S., like we're on MTV and all that stuff. And, you know, here, I mean, what was I, 22 or 23 years old? It changes. It's odd. You know, you have all, I mean, these people that normally, I was never a cool kid in high school. Now everybody wants to be your best friend. And I used to hear people talk like that, and I didn't understand. I'd say, oh, come on. You're being an egotistical moron, right? Mm -hmm. But it is true. And then, you know, you fall into trapping. You know, you start hanging out, you know, nothing wrong with, you know, having fun with your friends and partying and all stuff and, you know, all the girls and all that stuff. But then certain things get thrown your way and when you're pretty young, adolescent almost, right? Right. You tend to fall into those traps. So, you know, I was lucky. I had some people kind of basically slap me in the face and said, knock it off. Get your act together and, you know, and that saved me. But I had a lot of friends that they didn't, unfortunately, and their careers just kind of ended. Yeah, yeah, well, whomever that was, thank them, thank them uh, every day because, they, you know, it's it's... It is would you know a shame when that happens. It, it happens so much in music. So, Chris, I want to thank you. I don't want to keep any longer. Uh, the Nature of the Beast comes out a week from tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, on the 12th. Yeah, uh, here in the U.S. For your- Get that on uh, Frontiers. Are good friends at Frontiers who have you know got a wonderful roster of bands. Um, so it'll be make it easy for us in the U.S. to get the release, which is great. Wish you all the best, and hopefully you know at some point we'll see you in the United States. Um, you know, live, which would be fantastic. Yeah, well, we are going to tour, so I look forward to seeing everybody out there. Awesome. All right, again, a big thank you to Chris and Pelletieri. The Nature of the Beast is out now in Frontiers Records. D. Snyder, uh, for the love of metal, also out now, uh, available, and he will be in town to do a Rocktopia show on the 24th. So two really strong uh, albums from two really great artists, two really good guys. So check those out, and we appreciate you listening. You can visit us at Iron City Rocks. Com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. are all forward slash Iron City Rocks. Or you can reach us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. So next time, until next time, we thank you for listening. <laughs>